Welcome to the Talent Exchange. Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm Jess, Head of Marketing at Networks. We connect great talent with fantastic businesses nationwide through intuitive applicant tracking technology and supportive recruitment campaigns. Today, we have a bonus podcast to share for Mental Health Awareness Week, and I'm incredibly excited to be joined by Sean Rothwell and Jake Mills for a discussion on mental health in the workplace. Despite the fantastic work of charities and organisations nationwide, 9 out of 10 people with mental health challenges in the UK still suffer from stigmatisation and discrimination. Today, Sean, Head of People Services at the Regenda Group, will share more about their collaboration with Jake, CEO of Chasing the Stigma, to raise greater awareness of mental health within the workplace and normalising the conversation. From initiatives such as the virtual mass singer competition through to ambassador programmes, this podcast is set to be really insightful and creative discussion around what is often seen as a challenge for many organisations. So welcome, Sean and Jake. Please introduce yourselves for the listeners. Uh, so my name's Sean Rothwell. I am the Head of People Services for the Regenda Group, which is a regeneration business based in the Northwest. Fantastic. Welcome, Sean. And Jake? I'm Jake Mills. I'm the founder and chief executive of national mental health charity Chasing the Stigma. We are so excited to have you on the Talent Exchange today. In the last 12 months, there has been a real spotlight on employee mental health and well-being. And as we all navigated the challenges of isolation, changes in our working environment and the new physical distance between us when collaborating at work, how do you think people have found managing mental health and well-being of teams at the Regenda Group, Sean? I think it's been a real challenge for, for every organisation, not just the Regenda Group, because obviously this, this situation is not something that anybody had prepared for or, or had expected or anticipated. So it's been really, really difficult to, to try and pull something off the shelf to say, this is what you do when a pandemic hits. Obviously, most organisations have business continuity plans, etc. But you, you never actually, should, well, you always hope that you're never going to actually have to use them. So it has been a really, really challenging situation to respond to just because there isn't that off the shelf solution. And I think a lot of the time, organisations are judged on how they respond to challenging circumstances. So it's been really important for us as an organisation to ensure that we responded as, as effectively as we possibly could, both for our customers and, and also for, for our staff. And I think one of the things that our, our people have needed from us most critically during the last 12 months is clarity and consistency and communications throughout the whole pandemic. And we've tried to achieve that by streamlining our, our communications insofar as we, we've tried to make all of our communications that have related to the pandemic and our response to the pandemic come directly via our chief executive who's sent emails to all of our staff pretty much every Friday just updating all of our staff with all of the key information that they needed to be aware of in order that they could perform their roles as effectively as possible, but also to ensure that they could fulfil their personal obligations in the way that they needed to, depending on what whatever their personal circumstances were. And I think what we've, we've tried to do is to make sure that there was a, a clear 
emphasis from us as an organisation that above all else, it was safety first. That was what mattered ahead of every other consideration. So yes, of course, we wanted to deliver fantastic services to our customers. Yes, of course, we wanted to ensure we delivered on our financial performance targets. But above all, we wanted to protect everybody's safety. And that's what we based all of our business decisions around. But equally, I think, and I mentioned consistency, and and that is really important. But I think we also need to understand, and we've tried to do this, that everybody has experienced the pandemic differently. So even when in trying to be consistent, we've tried to be consistent in our inconsistency when we wanted to treat people as individuals and be as flexible as we possibly could to meet their individual needs. So we've tried to base our our response on ensuring that we could allow people to respond to their personal situations. Um, We've also tried to be clear with our staff that we didn't want to make unrealistic promises. We didn't want to try and pretend that we had all the answers to a situation that we weren't actually in control of. So we've committed to follow government guidelines and we've only made promises that we that we intended to keep and where we have made mistakes and I'm sure most organisations made mistakes. We've owned up to them quickly and, and we've quickly put them right. So I think I think for, for us it's just been about ensuring that we communicated effectively with our staff and met their immediate needs in what is in effect a crisis situation. Fantastic. Thank you, Sean. I completely agree. Communication has been vital over this last 12 months and we've all had to adapt and be flexible in business in ways that we perhaps never had done before this this time period. But there have actually been you know, some benefits um, from the pandemic and with an increase in flexible working, greater understanding of employer needs, because like you said, you've been able to address individuals in a consistent manner like you mentioned because of the changing environment a lot of businesses have had to digitally transform to be able to use video conferencing technology connect and collaborate in different ways to the way that we're working maybe in the office environment which has been quite positive experience for most organizations Although this has removed geographical boundaries and some physical limitations, it has, though, been difficult to replicate the same connection and collaboration in the online space, as opposed to some of the face-to-face initiatives that people might have been running to try and bring people together. Jake, have you found that more organisations are seeking support and information around this? Yeah, I think it's definitely been a, a total mixed bag of a year, really. But I do, I do agree, you know, we'll, we'll look back at the year and, and think that it's been a really negative year for, for many different reasons. But I think there'll be a lot of, of learning that will come from it that I, I hope we'll be able to take into working life from now on. As you said, not just the, the flexible working, which, you know, has its benefits and its negatives. I think ideally moving forward, we'll probably all like a bit of a bit of both, really. But I know that for us, it's opened up opportunities particularly with our training program that we only delivered face-to-face we were only probably ever going to deliver that face-to-face and with our training program what we're trying to do is reach everybody in an organization rather than just a select few we were almost forced as as ourselves as an organization to adapt at that and to try and deliver it virtually i think if you would have asked me you know 18 months ago would i want to do that i'd say no because i'd say that 
it's not going to be the same that not seeing people and physically being there means that we can't get that message across. And I think if you ask most of, of the people that we're working with, they'd say that they wouldn't want it virtually. But actually, in many ways, it's it's opened up a lot more opportunity and a lot more corridor to being able to reach people, especially with a message around mental health. Not only can you actually reach people in different environments and and it takes less time than trying to arrange people to come in for a meeting but when you're delivering a session about mental health in many ways it's actually been easier and better to get that message across to employees when they are working at home when they're in their own environments when they're in safe environments when they're they're feeling comfortable anyway Sometimes talking about mental health, we know people can often feel awkward and intense about the subject. People sat in a room together with their colleagues can often be shuffling awkwardly thinking, I hope people don't look at me when he's saying that bit or or other things and don't want to make eye contact and all these different things. Being able to do this virtually has had benefits, especially because you're not sitting next to people. You can turn your camera off and all that stuff if you want to. So I think it's, it's, it's definitely had positives. It's allowed us to reach more people quicker. But a lot of businesses, I think that if, if we're going to halve last year, I think the first half, people were just like, we don't know what's going on. Panic stations, let's just try and get our thoughts together. I'd say the second half, and certainly since the new year, a lot of organizations have started coming forward to us now asking for help and support because I think we've now got through the pandemic or that that year to then go into a new year in a new lockdown and then to be looking at the return to work what's the new environment going to be like what's it going to be like actually having to go back into the office all these different things I think people are noticing a real change in their staff and the need and also I don't think there's ever been a better time to talk about mental health to your staff because you can't you can't hide from it. You can't hide from it now. You can't pretend that you don't have an issue. You can't can't pretend anything else that a lot of people like to think. Right now, everybody is aware that things out of your control can affect your mental health and that you need to be doing more as an organization to help everybody inside that organization. And that's what we've been doing with Regenda, who have been fantastic since day one of engaging everybody. I think it's been a really interesting year and you mentioned about people working from home and then doing the working in the office sort of the environment. I actually think it's fascinating that you brought that up because it isn't it isn't that this last year has just made everyone want to work from home. You're right. It's that balance. It's a hybrid. It's the flexibility of having the option to do one or the other or a merge of the two throughout your working life to get that that balance and and that sort of has come out of this sort of discussion in the last 12 months of of what is the new working world going to be like but it is really positive that the number of organizations that you are working with and you are seeing an increase in people inquiring because I do think it's been a hot topic as although some people have found the working from home experience to be great it has it has been quite isolating for others but great to hear that for some people you've been able to reach more from from the virtual environment and it's getting the right platform for different people because not face-to-face doesn't actually work for everybody but either does virtual so you're right in saying that it's it's a split of the two that can work for the wider audience so sean you've been doing some work yourself at the agenda group and how have you managed the last 12 months in sort of connecting with your teams collaborating and, and what kind of initiatives have been successful for you 
Yeah, so I, th- I think that there's there's a couple of ways in which people have, have, have been impacted from, particularly from a mental health perspective. So I think that, you know, the, the isolation in itself can have a negative impact on, 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 on some people's mental health. And But then there's also some people who will be experiencing stress, fear and anxiety about the end of the pandemic, about going back to the way things were previously. So I think that there's, there's there's mental health issues that could arise at both ends of the pandemic in addition to in, in the midst of it. So what, what we've tried to do is we've tried to provide as many initiatives as we possibly could that gave our people what they needed at the time rather than just focusing on what we would have done anyway part of our health and well-being program I mean some of it we couldn't have done anyway because a a lot of our health and well-being activities are are physically focused so we've often done things like mountain climbing dragon boat racing things like that obviously we've been prevented from doing things like that but there have been loads of other things that we've found about a really positive impact on on our staff and how they've been able to manage the situation and we've just tried to respond to each aspect of the pandemic as it as it's arisen so towards the start of the pandemic, one of our key focuses was about trying to maintain contact between staff members and their teams. And one thing we found really effective in doing that is we we, rec- we hosted and recorded a load of discussion sessions where various teams across the business just got together and, and talked about how the pandemic had impacted their services, how they as individuals were experiencing the situations and, and, and how they were going to move forward in, in continuing to offer their services to, to our customers. And we found that to be, to be really helpful because it just gave our staff the opportunity to get back together, but also to, to talk to the wider business in a way that the pandemic had prevented them from doing. But it also had a, a positive longer term impact because it actually gave various teams the opportunity to, to tell other staff across the organisation exactly what it was that they did in perhaps a way that they hadn't done before. So even outside of, of, of the immediate necessity of the pandemic, there were longer term positives. We've also provided a couple of mental health support programs for our staff as well. And so we have provided mindfulness training to a significant number of staff across our organisation who've uh, responded brilliantly to that. People have found that they've needed to find different ways to help them cope during the pandemic. People have found that that's been really helpful. We've also enlisted the services of an external provider to deliver personal resilience training to our staff across the organisation. Again, just to help our staff to respond to challenging situations that they're not always in control of. And obviously, this is a fantastic example of a a situation where we're constantly having to react to moving goalposts. And I think that, again, our staff have found that to to be a really useful program that has given them tools and techniques that has enabled them to to continually adapt to whatever has been thrown at them and sometimes just to see things from from a different angle and to challenge some some ways of thinking that have allowed them to react more positively to the situation but I think we've also wanted to put an element of fun in there as well so we've tried to put some fun initiatives throughout the pandemic so we've done a couple of 
internal video-based activities. Definitely no copyright infringements, I hope, but we've tried to host our own versions of Through the Keyhole with our staff members giving us tours of their homes and uh, us having to guess whose house was was whose. And we also did a Regenda Group version of The Masked Singer, which was really, really fun, which I, which I had a go at, which, which was brilliant. I don't need any comments from you, Jake, about what my singing might have been like. I want to know what your costume was. I, I borrowed one of my son's costumes. It was in lockdown at the time, so I didn't really have the option of going to the shop and going to get a more effective one. But whatever <laughs> was on hand at the time was was used. So yeah, that, that was really good and really, really well received by staff because again, we just wanted to some of the feel good to be retained across the organisation. We also implemented a weekly newsletter just to enable all of our staff to keep up to date with organisational developments. This was outside of our chief executive's communications and just focused on actual activities and services that the organisation was delivering. But again, there was a bit, there was some fun stuff in there. We put some riddles and jokes and, and, and it was more lighthearted just again to try and keep morale as, as high as we possibly could across the organisation and to ensure that despite the fact that those water cooler moments didn't exist, people could still keep up to date with what was going on across the organisation. And then later on in the pandemic, we, we, we tried to, again, really adapt to what our staff needed at the time. And during the second lockdown in, um, in January, I think a lot of our staff had, had got to the point, particularly those with, with children, where they were struggling to to balance the the pressures of of, of work life and and, and homeschooling during the first part of lockdown last last spring the novelty was still there and people were able to perhaps deal with it a little bit more positively in the depths of winter when you're unclear as to how long this is going to go on it, it was probably a little bit more challenging so we we managed to secure the services of a group of qualified teachers who were able to deliver online learning sessions to our staff's children. We managed to group them into, you know, infant kids, junior kids, et cetera, and, and provide them with some activities and education just to give their parents a little bit of a break and, and a little bit of reassurance that it wasn't all down to them to do everything. And at the end of the day, it, it was it was a really, really sensible thing for us to do because our staff had uh, delivered services so fantastically for us throughout the pandemic. It was it, it was brilliant that we were able to give something back that that helped them at that particular time where where we felt that staff really needed it. And and I think that the only other thing that I, I'd mention is we actually really really maintained our commitment to learning and development throughout the last twelve months. I, I know some organisations have potentially put it put those sorts of initiatives on hold and, and largely I think they've done so for for really good reasons but for us as as the agenda group we felt that the need to get people together even if it was even if it was virtual was just really really important to maintain that sense of of team of belonging of normality and and I think it was really important for us to do so because at the end of the day, that the pandemic is going to end at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. But when it does, we're going to need people who, who are skilled and competent and motivated to get us totally back on track delivering the services our customers need. 
And by continuing to invest in our people throughout this challenging period, we think that that's had a real positive impact and will allow us to do that more effectively than if we had paused our L&D programme. So we've done some fantastic bite-sized workshops. We've done an entire management development training programme, done a an introduction to management programme. We've done all sorts of ILM qualifications for staff. We've taken on apprentices. We've tried to really keep going with our L&D provisions because we, we, we really do believe that that's going to stand us in good stead for the challenges that will come post whenever this ends. Some absolutely phenomenal initiatives there. Thank you for sharing so much detail. I'm sure lots of our listeners will be scribbling down ideas from some of your points there. And I think it's really inspiring that one thing that came from what you've just said there, Sean, was that there's so much creativity that's come off the back of this last 12 months because we've had to look at different ways to engage, different ways to inspire and motivate people. And therefore, we've had to be a hell of a lot more creative in our approach. And there's a lot of things there that you mentioned that potentially organisations might not have explored if they'd have not been through that last 12-month period, but actually are going to have long-lasting effects and the things that people would like to see long-term because they've had a massively positive impact on their their work experience and 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 their lives outside of work too so thank you thank you for sharing that although the pandemic has shed a light on mental health in the workplace there's still a bit of a stigma though surrounding those who are experiencing mental health challenges what would you say to employers looking to create an environment of understanding like using initiatives like some of the ones that Sean has shared there to encourage people in the organization who have experienced mental health challenges to to come forward maybe to candidates who are applying for new roles to still apply what would you say to those organizations to sort of embrace that what could they be doing i mean what what i think is is the crucial thing in that is in order to create an environment of understanding you need everybody to be engaged in that. Certainly from a mental health point of view, that's something that we've always, from, from the where go, we've been about engaging everybody, not just those who are struggling, not just those who have struggled, but those who have never struggled with their mental health before. What's really important is that you change that narrative around mental health to try and change it away from mental health, meaning mental illness, and it just being something that we all have because we all do. We, we need to be, as people, aware of our mental health, aware of how to keep our mental health good, but importantly, what to do if we are ever struggling or somebody else. And by engaging everybody, by you know our, our training programme that we developed here and that we've rolled out across the Regender Group, is to everyone. So training everybody with a baseline level of understanding around mental health. That's what I think every organization should do and has to do is have a tiered approach to mental health and and well-being support within that organization. So instead of having 50 or a handful of people trained in mental health training, but still having hundreds of employees who have no training or no understanding, you give everybody a little bit of understanding that baseline level and then you have a tiered approach you have some who may be a little bit more trained you have some internal support and you lead that way from the top down it's got to be part of the everyday life it's got to be part of being in work is that mental health is is always talked about as i said not necessarily as a bad thing not just talking about if you're struggling but the things that sean's talked about there you know you might be talking about 
the, maybe a business way of looking at it is talking about morale or motivation. This is all part of your mental health and your staff's well-being. So those little things you might not think are a mental health initiative, but actually they go a long way in ensuring that the mental health of your staff is as good as it possibly can be. But another thing that I that I think is really important as well is to you don't have to assume that you know the answers. You don't have to assume that you have all the answers internally. I think you you said there, Jess, about there might be a bit of a stigma. There is there is a stigma surrounding mental health and surrounding mental ill health everywhere you look at the moment, within businesses and outside of businesses. And I think we've done an awful lot as a society over the last five, six, seven years to try and tackle and, and challenge that stigma. But it is still there. And we've seen that only over the last couple of months in the news and different stories. So it's knowing that it's not just about what you do internally in terms of support. It's looking at the external support that's available as well and allowing your employees to know that they can work with external people in order to get that support and being okay with that. Eventually, in, in an ideal situation, you would want everybody to be getting that internal support but knowing that if they do want to go and speak to somebody else or say if they're, they're worried about a child who might not be able to receive that internal support, what do you do then? So it's looking at people as people. And I think over the last 12 months or so, I think that's been one of the biggest differences is that people have been seen as people instead of employees. And I remember speaking to somebody not too long ago who said, I don't have to pretend that I don't have kids anymore in the sense that, you know, they're here, everyone can see it. We're all judging each other's houses when we're going on, on Zoom calls and whatever. Now it's out there in the open. We don't have to pretend that we're nothing, uh, that we're just this professional person at work and then have a totally different life out of it. So we are being a little bit more open to that. But if you look at, at the agenda group and the work that we've done, uh, particularly with our Ambassador of Hope, training program we developed the training to be as quick as affordable and condensed as it possibly can be but with the agenda group not only did they say we will train everybody they started it with the chief executive and with the board they rolled that right down to all their staff and now they continue to to take on our ambassador hope training sessions for any new inductions and now we have an ongoing relationship with them so that we are part of the, the fabric of the company, of that everyday life. So that their staff know me and our staff. They know our team and they know that they can talk to us as much as they can talk to Sean and his team. So it's, real, it's really about leading by example and making it part of every single day, not just mental health day once a year or a, a training session that you just do and then nobody talks about it again you've got to keep that consistent and as i said involving everybody that's how you create a true environment of understanding yeah absolutely and just 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 to echo a couple of the points that, that jake made there it, it the, the key thing that that we wanted to to achieve when we when we first partnered with with chasing the stigma, what was this the simple fact? And Jake mentions this regularly: is everybody has mental health. Nobody is immune from it. We all have it. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's it, it's not so great. 
and and that's all fine you know it, it, it's not a problem but we want to try and normalize conversations about mental health in the same way someone would say oh my hand's hurting today we want people to be able to say you know what? i'm not feeling at my best today we want those conversations to be as straightforward and, and, and non-judgmental as, as we possibly can. And that's why the Ambassadors of Hope training programme that, that Jake's organisation developed was, was perfect for us because we were able to give everybody, every single person across the agenda group, a baseline understanding of what mental health was and, and crucially what it wasn't as well, but also to enable all of our staff to have those conversations, not to solve everybody's problems, because we, we can't create an organization of, of 700 psychotherapists. But what we can do is we can ensure that everybody is equipped to know what to do, particularly if somebody is in a crisis situation where they really do need a, a, an intervention. And so we've just tried to do everything that we could to facilitate those conversations, to challenge incorrect perceptions, and to ensure that everybody has, has a shared understanding. And, and there was another point that Jake made that I thought was, was really important, which is about leadership and, 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 and securing buy-in from, from, from the top of an organisation. And we did that. We, as Jake said, we, we rolled out the Ambassadors of Hope training programme with our, with our uh, executive team and board, first and foremost. And we've encouraged people at every level of the organisation to have these conversations and, 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 you know, leaders do set an example. So I, I remember in one, of, in one of my very first jobs, the HR director I worked for one day decided to stop wearing a tie. Everyone, all, 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 the, all the men in particular had always wear, worn ties previously and one day stopped wearing one. And then in the weeks that followed, you gradually saw all the men stop one by one stop wearing ties and so similarly if, if we can see leaders in organizations having conversations about mental health in the workplace that will break down those barriers and will encourage other people across every level of the organization to understand these conversations are fine these conversations are normal and do you know what's not normal is not talking about it and that's where you have problems when people are keeping everything to themselves because they don't feel that the, the experiences that they are going through will be accepted or received in the appropriate manner by their, by their managers, by their colleagues, by, by other stakeholders. It, it's really important that we just do everything that we can to normalise these conversations because it makes it so much easier for people when they are experiencing difficulties with their mental health. That's so refreshing to hear from both of you and some fantastic stories in there and, and things that you've been working on and collaborating together for your team. So thank you so much for sharing that. Really uplifting and inspiring. We have seen in this last 12 months a, a rise in people posting on social media, employees sharing initiatives from their organisations about some of the initiatives that Sean mentioned, such as coffee mornings and, and virtual events, hampers being sent round, etc., 
however, as we've also talked about, that mental health and well-being goes a lot more beyond that and creating that sort of sense of understanding and common sense of understanding for everybody involved. How do you think that employees are receiving these initiatives that you've been working on? And and, and Jake, how do you think that the organisations that you've worked with that have been doing these kind of training, how have the employees received the training? I have to be honest and, you know, I would say this, but it's been overwhelmingly positive. And what I would say is I don't, I don't feel like we're telling anybody that anything that they don't necessarily already know. But what we're doing is we are in some ways giving people permission to talk about it and to, and to, and to speak about it by giving people a space in order to do that. But what we're really passionate about and, and what I'm adamant we will always do is we we will always have a presence with every organization that we work with we don't want to just come in do a session and leave because you know you might help some people but you won't help everybody in that way we know that it takes persistence we know that it takes reassurance we know that it takes building trust and so by going into these organizations and really importantly as Sean said, normalizing that conversation. Everything that we're doing is about talking as people talk. We're not trying to overcomplicate things. We're not trying to use clinical language or using jargon. We're not trying to even talk about mental health in a way that you might expect it to be. We're just trying to make it as ordinary and as normal as possible and as human as possible in order to allow people to drop their guards we know, you know, don't get me wrong, I know if you say to people, come into the room, we're going to talk about mental health and do mental health training, you get people go, oh, I can't be bothered with this. How long is this going to go on for? You know, let's just, let's just do what we can to get through it. But actually, as soon as you start engaging people in that conversation, that goes, it vanishes. There's a big myth that particularly men don't want to talk about the mental health. They do. What they want is a knowing a safe place to do that. When we were doing things in person, and, and Sean will tell you, there was always a queue of people waiting to speak to me or one of our other trainers after the session every single time because people go, okay, here's somebody who's willing to engage in that conversation. And as Sean said, by having leaderships doing that alongside us, it creates that environment of understanding. And that's why when we're coming in and we're doing our training and yes, we're saying we want to be able to offer the ambassador hope to everybody, but then we have other alternatives. So then we have an ambassador hope plus, which is a bit more in depth working with maybe management or a few of people than that wider one. We then have ongoing kind of like almost like retainers with organizations who ask us to come in once a month. That can be doing stuff like comedy workshops. It can be doing well-being workshops. It can be doing something completely out of the blue that you wouldn't necessarily think is mental health training, but it's about that well-being of staff and that morale boosting that we said before. But everything is about keeping that presence, us knowing them, them knowing us. And eventually what we want to do is to build that bridge of, of trust between the employer and the employee, because we know that that's often a little bit fragmented and a little bit difficult sometimes. So if we can allow that to happen by being there and having that presence, then that's what we want to do. It's not picking teams and saying, let's help you uh, all talk to each other. 
some really lovely points there, Jake, and, and great to hear a little bit more about the training that you're doing too and how you're working with Regenda Group. And also lovely to hear that there were so many people so enthusiastic after those sessions. I think we've all been invited to training like that in the past and thought, gosh, I've not got time to fit this in my diary. But when people actually do make the time for it, it can be really empowering and also enlightening because they've, they've learned a lot that they can use for themselves, but also for the, the wider teams that they work with. Sean, do you think... Do you think you found it difficult to get people to engage with it at the beginning or have your team quite quite easily got involved? And, and if you were speaking to other organisations, what would you say would be the first step that they could take to doing more initiatives like you are? I think the, the first thing that, uh, that needs to happen is that, uh, as I said earlier, there needs to be buy-in from the top. We, we need to know that the organisation is committed to wanting their staff members to be able to to talk about mental health issues and, and why wouldn't you why, why wouldn't you want that because it's 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 going to create an environment that is more open and honest and feels safer for staff members to be in so I think that that is that is the key thing first of all but I think you also need to have a really clear plan about how this is going to be rolled out across the organization you need to determine whether this is something that you know you are willing for all staff to have buy-in into and we believe that that was the right thing to do we coordinated the delivery of the ambassadors of hope training program right across the organization ensuring that everybody had opportunity to attend managers were bought in you know there was flexibility on on, on locations so that people weren't being put out in order to attend the training session and it was I mean it's really helpful as Jake described that the the Ambassadors of Hope program is is a relatively short session you know you can receive all the information that you need in, in, in a half hour session in order to give you that baseline understanding and then of course there are further sessions offered by Chasing the Stigma there are other sessions offered by other providers and other organizations that can give you an enhanced level of port or an enhanced level of understanding but having that baseline is is where everything comes from after you've secured that buy-in from the top but for us in 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 the pandemic situation i think in terms of securing buying into all the all the positive things that we've tried to do it's probably been underpinned by maybe three things the the first one just that we focused so fundamentally on safety and following the government advice we made sure that all of our staff members were aware that was our number one priority, safety and following the government's advice. Secondly, one of the the first goals that our chief executive stated to to all our staff over and above anything else, which which we we couldn't plan for, was that his intention or his goal was to try and avoid any redundancies due to the impact of COVID. Now, obviously, it's impossible for anyone to offer any guarantee beyond all doubt. But I think our staff were really reassured that that was our goal to make sure that one of their absolutely critical needs, i.e. to have an income and security, was also our goal as as an organisation as well. And then the, the third thing was was the flexibility that we, we've offered throughout the pandemic. So from day one, we, we said to people, this is different. We accept it's different. We haven't got all the answers and we don't fully know how it's going to work. 
but we will be as flexible with you as, as, as we possibly can to ensure that everything that you need to commit to on a personal basis and everything you need to do from a perspective of fulfilling your role with us is manageable. And I think by, by providing those three underpinning factors, it's, it's ensured that our staff members could be in a much better place from a well-being perspective and could then more effectively engage and take advantage of some of the additional initiatives and benefits and programmes that we've put in place because their fundamental needs at the time had been aligned with what we were trying to do as an organisation. I think what's really important is consistency. So consistency is absolutely vital in getting any message out across uh, any organisation. And Sean mentioned before about, you know, doing mountain climbs and different stuff like that. And the Regenda Group climbed Snowden to raise money for Chasing Stigma. But we went with them, you know, we joined them. We got to, to experience that with them. We got to, that, that team building that they had as a group was with the charity that they're fundraising for. You know, when they have the, the staff annual conferences, I think I've spoken after the last three years worth of, of staff conferences, hosted it one year. And again, it's really important because it's not just saying, right, here's your mental health training, you've done that, especially for new people coming into the organisation. I think it's really brilliant that you are having as part of an induction. But if you're just coming in, having that part of your induction, it's not just then going away. It's I think probably people are a little bit sick of me. But it's consistent. That message is there. This is who we work with. We don't want to be a stranger to any organization that we're working with. We want to have a presence. We want them to know us. We want them to know them. And we want to work with you. We don't want anything for nothing. We want to work with you to help your staff and to help people on an individual basis. These initiatives, they like you said, they're, they're not part of a, a tick box exercise or something that's part of the organisation's DNA and that commitment to sort of chasing the stigma, to use your name, is, is prevalent for, for the Regenda Group. And it's just so uplifting to hear of all the initiatives that you're doing and how it's sort of transcending all the way through all of your teams from your senior execs all the way through everybody and they're all getting a chance to have that training and and learn so that they can use that not only for themselves and their teams but when they notice other people outside of the work environment I think it's just so refreshing and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be making notes from some of the great initiatives that you've been pursuing uh, over the last 12 months and beforehand. We like to ask a little bonus question at the end of each of these sessions, and I could probably ask you a million questions because there's been some great content discussed today. But we just like to look ahead to the next six months and look at trends and things that we, you guys think might be important for, for talent acquisition and HR teams over the next six months. What do you think is likely to be in the pipeline as we, we come out of this pandemic? I think from my perspective, from a, from a talent acquisition point of view, I think there's going to be some different expectations from, from job seekers. I think job seekers, due to the length of the pandemic, you know, have got used to different working environments. So I think a lot of job seekers will be expecting more flexibility from potential employers and perhaps to be managed more in the way of by what they produce, by their outputs rather than their, their physical presence between nine and five or, or whatever that may be. And I think additionally, over the next six months, all, all things going as planned, I think 
we're, we're certainly going to see probably quite a significant uptick in the number of job seekers. We've probably found that the job market has been a little bit less buoyant than it ordinarily would be over the last 12 months. And that's understandable. People perhaps not wanting to take the risk of of starting a new job in in such an uncertain environment and people putting their, their plans on hold. But I think as we return to normality, I think people's ambitions will be reignited and that they they will be on the lookout for new opportunities and I think that it's a uh, it, it, it that'll create a really buoyant job market for job seekers but as uh, as recruiters I think we really need to be on the ball and make sure that we are representing our organizations as as effectively as possible and making sure that we are recruiting people who are the right fit for our organizations and will support us in delivering on our objectives whatever they may be post-pandemic and of course they may not be exactly the same post-pandemic as they were pre-pandemic but of course it is important to remember that that this that the situation that we're in now isn't the new normal this is managing in in a pandemic so i think it's really important for organizations to to consider what's been really good about the last 12 months and there have been loads of good things been absolutely loads but but also to remember to leave behind the the bad things as well because there have been plenty of things that don't work as well and we need to make sure that those are left in the past and don't just stay as some sort of covid hangover yeah, I, I'd just uh, add on to what Sean's saying there because I think he's absolutely right. And similar to what the first question was and how, how I responded that in, in regards to virtual working and stuff, we're right now going through a recruitment process for a new position here. And I think before pandemic, we, as based in Liverpool, would have just been recruiting somebody in Liverpool or maybe just outside of Liverpool who'd be traveling into the office every day. Right now, because of how we've worked, we know that virtual working, it works and that it, it's, a, it's a really good way to move forward. So actually, while now we're recruiting, we've cast that net out right across the country to say, you know, let, look, look at the talent pool that we're now actually able to explore as a result of virtual working. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to get a balance where we will want to see whoever's going to get this job maybe once a month, twice a month. But I'm more comfortable now because I've had to work with my staff virtually. We've created a lot of relationships virtually to know that it can work. And I think a point that Sean made there as well is absolutely right. And without being, you know, we, we know this isn't the case and without being too naive because we know that a lot of people are out of work. A lot of people will be desperate for work. But a lot of people will be changing their career as a result of the pandemic, thinking, I don't want to do what I was always doing. I want to do something that I believe in. I want to work with an organisation who are going to be looking after me. I want to work for an organisation like the Regenda Group who take my needs and my my health seriously. And I think you'll get a lot more people with that passion, with that drive to say, I'm going to do something I've always wanted to do. Taking leaps of faith where maybe you've not had the courage to do so because you've, you've almost been, been forced into, into making that decision. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a recruiter's market at the moment, but I think it's an opportunity to, to really 
change the way that you you usually approach uh, recruitment and and I'd say casting that that net out much wider than what you usually would. A very optimistic and positive couple of suggestions there for what the next six months will hold. So thank you both so much for that. And thank you for a really inspiring and uplifting session today on the Talent Exchange. It has been brilliant to have you both on here today. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the discussion on chasing the stigma of mental health in the workplace today. Make sure to check out our other podcasts where we explore insights, top tips and discussions on the latest HR and recruitment trends. For more information on the Regenda Group and to search opportunities to join their talented team, check out regenda.org.uk. To see how your organisation could partner with Chasing the Stigma, rolling out some of the ambassador programmes that Sean and Jake shared today, visit chasingthestigma.co.uk. For more information from Networks and to see how we are supporting over 450 clients nationwide to attract, engage, manage and onboard top talent, head over to networksolutions.co.uk. Until next time.